Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful, soothing jets, and all your stress seems to melt away, like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better, too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. This podcast may discuss topics graphic in nature and possibly triggering to survivors. We value the safety and well-being of all of our listeners. So please practice personal discretion. Now, enjoy the show. Hey, I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. We're the hosts of the Murder Diaries podcast. We bonded over tacos and true crime after we matched on Bumble BFF. You know, like any normal millennial using an app to meet new friends. Every Thursday, we upload a new episode. In each episode of The Murder Diaries, we tell true crime one story at a time. One week, it's my turn. And the next week, it's mine. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. If today's story doesn't get you in your fills, I'm not sure what will. I've been looking into it off and on for years. I literally burst into tears when I read about the breakthrough a few weeks ago. Her name was Alicia Ann Heinrich. However, you may know her as Mississippi's Baby Jane or Delta Dawn. That's because after she was smothered and cruelly thrown into Mississippi's Escatapa River, she remained unidentified for 38 years. Genetic genealogy may have given back Alicia's name but there's still unanswered questions surrounding the murder. Most prominently, who did this? Why was she murdered? And where is her mother? Here's what we know. Our story begins in the early morning hours of Sunday, December 5th, 1982. We're in Moss Point of Jackson County, Mississippi. And a few quick facts about Jackson County, Moss Point, that whole area. It borders Alabama. It's at the southeastern tip of Mississippi. And according to the 1980 census, two years before this story takes place, just under 19,000 people were residing in Moss Point at the time. And I just really wanted to highlight that because it's a very small city. I like the way you termed that small city because it definitely makes it a bit of a community, town, It might be somewhat rural, but it's not going to be crazy rural. Some of the towns we've had on this show have had like 2,800 people. So this is like, you know, probably somewhat suburban-y community. It's going to be tight-knit, though. Right. Like, it's kind of this, like, in-between situation, if you will. Yeah, definitely. That's a perfect way to describe it. Now, back to Sunday, December 5th, 1982. A truck driver named Ted Hammond was traveling along Interstate 10 through Jackson County and crossed what he referred to as the Big Bridge when he reported seeing the body of a woman wearing a blue plaid shirt and jeans floating face down in the Escatapa River, which was known as the Dog River at the time. And I did do some Google mapping of the area, and it is a very long, long bridge. and. There's not much out there. 
I've heard that the waters are murky and muddy and it's swampy. So just to really paint the picture of the area that we're in right now. We love a good Google Earth sesh or aerial view on Google Maps. When I think of a bridge, you know, I'm thinking like the Bay Bridge, like this huge metal bridge. And I'm sure that's not the case in this small of a town. So what what did this bridge look like? Like, you know, how long is it? And like, what was it kind of like made out of? I'm trying to like picture this whole like scene in my head here. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful soothing jets and all your stress seems to melt away. Like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. Is your daily grind getting you down? A Thermospas hot tub may be the solution. Just a few minutes under those powerful soothing jets and all your stress seems to melt away. Like you're lying on a cloud of bubbles. You'll not only feel better, but sleep better too. Call 877-861-4672 now. And for a limited time, save $1,250. Call 877-861-4672 or visit thermospas.com to schedule a free on-site assessment. I'm glad you asked that because it was a very long bridge and it was known to have murky waters below. It was a very swampy area, just very uninhabitable in that area. There weren't many houses along this stretch of the I-10. And there's actually a quote from Ted, the trucker that I've been talking about. He's quoted as saying, some 1,000 feet west of the steel grates on the big bridge between the spans is how he spotted the woman floating in the water. Once Ted had seen the body, he pulled over as soon as he could find a phone and called 911. Two sheriff's deputies, Mike Waugh and Paul Murphy, were immediately dispatched to the scene. But when they arrived, Ted wasn't there, and a body couldn't be seen in the river either. The deputies searched and searched, but nothing came up. They moved their search downstream when Deputy Paul Murphy spotted the small body of a toddler, who we now know as Alicia. Alicia was partially submerged and face up in the weeds close to the bridge. And due to the proximity of Alicia's body to the bridge, authorities believed that the child couldn't be the body that Ted had seen from the road or from the bridge. So it just was by happenstance that they discovered Alicia's body. Okay, I feel like we can paint even more of a picture for maybe some of the younger viewers in that like, this is a truck driver who's got a CB radio. It's 1982. He does not have a cell phone right. to call these authorities on. And and as you said, pulled over, got to a phone. So this means he's pulling over to like a diner, a pay phone, um, a random pay phone, you know, that's like on the side of the road or a call box somewhere like call boxes were these big yellow boxes that had like a phone inside if you were in trouble on the freeway. I'm not trying to act old, but um, I just feel like I feel like that's like a good picture to like think of it when you're putting it in the perspective of like 1982. Right. So with that, I kind of wanted just to discuss with you, like, did did anybody think at this point that it was weird that he called it in and left or 
are we thinking, you know what, in the 80s, it probably would not have been as odd for somebody to report something and not feel like they had to stay there to be, like, questioned and possibly fingerprinted or checked into. I can't speak as to whether or not they thought it was weird, but I do know that they were able to get in touch with him later, and that's how we have his name. We know he was from Florida and that he was a truck driver passing through on the I-10. And he was eventually re-interviewed. Got it. And that's where that longer quote came from that I read about seeing the body through the grates. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he was definitely spoken to by authorities. They don't consider him a suspect. He just was trying to be a good Samaritan and call. And I guess it's a good thing he did because then that led us to right where I kind of went into our tangent where it seems to have been happenstance that they find this little girl's body. Right. And because they found Alicia's body, that almost gave them this renewed sense of urgency to find the woman's body who Ted the trucker had seen. And so they really scoured the area even more than they had before. I'm talking they dragged the river. They used a crane to pull out contents, just whatever they could find. They used helicopters, boats, and numerous investigators were deployed all around the area to search, but nothing turned up. Is it bad? I'm kind of wondering, like, what the hell did they find in this murky water? Like, what were they pulling out? I bet there was some crazy stuff. Well, there actually was a lot more crazy things than you would expect because another body was found. But it wasn't the woman's. What is with this river and these like bodies that, I mean, I know they don't magically appear, but it's crazy. This person is now believed not to be connected to the case, but I just want to give him a little bit of exposure here. They did find the skeletal remains of an African-American man on December 8th. So less than a week after Alicia was discovered and They believe him to be between the ages of 18 and 22. He had been there for six months, submerged in water. So they know that... So definitely not magically appearing. Not magically appearing and also not along the same timeline as Alicia because it was soon revealed that she had been there for about two days. And this area isn't huge. So like who is killing these people and dumping them in this river? To this day, the man still remains unidentified. They found Alicia. They found the unidentified skeletal remains of the man, but they never found the woman that inspired that trucker's phone call, which is eerie. And it just lends itself to all the questions that surround this case. And I'm going to get into them. So let's dive in. The local coroner performed an autopsy on Alicia and discovered that she had been smothered prior to being thrown into the river. However, murky water was found in Alicia's lungs. That means she was alive when she was put into the water. Yes, it proved ultimately she had died via drowning because the water wouldn't have been able to get in her lungs if she had been dead prior to getting into the water. Right. Conscious or not, she was still breathing in water. That is frightening. And that also makes me think that had she been smothered, whoever put her in that water 
probably already thought she was dead and didn't really know. Exactly. Because if they just wanted to drown her alive, if that's the right terminology, then they would have just done that. Exactly. And I just want to give a further description of what Alicia looked like. She So she was a toddler, around 18 months old. She was 2'6", so 2 feet 6 inches tall oh. and weighed about 25 pounds. Her hair was strawberry blonde, and for the longest time, police weren't able to figure out what eye color she had just because of her being in the water for so long. Her eyes were clouded, but they believed they were around blue or green, something like that. And so you'll see in a lot of the sketches and um, images throughout the years, they'll either have a variation of those color eyes. I can only imagine that like this little sweet face was haunting for these last almost 40 years. Yeah. The law enforcement officers who were at the scene and the fact that they had no idea who she was until just recently, which of course we'll get into later, but like, right. Wow. Like I can only imagine how haunted everybody was looking at that. And I think They were haunted and just troubled by all the questions of how could she have gotten in there? And Mm -hmm. this was a a really well-nourished and cared for child. She had a really cute outfit on that was pink and white checkered dress. It had flowers on the front. She had a disposable diaper on. She had 12 teeth. She didn't appear to be like malnourished at all. Mm -hmm. She gave all appearances of being raised in a healthy environment. Was there any missing persons, bulletins kind of going out in the area? Was anybody looking for a little girl that was strawberry blonde with blue or green eyes? No. And that's the sad part. No one was looking for her. And because she wasn't claimed at the coroner's office, later that month in December 1982, Jackson County Sheriff's Deputy Virgil Moore and his wife adopted Alicia. And I use adopted in quotes because really what they were doing was being the responsible party to give her a proper burial. And they actually hosted a funeral for her with 200 people in attendance. That is... Really sweet to hear that there were 200 people honoring her little life. And also just a little perspective tangent. Funerals are very, very expensive. So it's really heartwarming and puts into perspective what kind of people they were right. to to do this for her. And, and not that, you know, anybody missing or murdered doesn't deserve that. That's exactly what they do deserve. It just happened to come from people who didn't know her and kind of still didn't. Yeah. And that's what makes it so beautiful. Right. It's very beautiful and just really uh, reminds you that humanity doesn't always suck. And in addition to her burial, she was gifted a headstone and the headstone reads baby Jane colon known only to God. So it's baby Jane, like Jane Doe. Correct. And she wasn't just known as Baby Jane in the Mississippi area. They also gave her the name Delta Dawn because 
that's kind of where she was found in the Delta by the bridge in the Dog River at the time. It's kind of morbid. It's morbid, but they did it so that she wouldn't be confused with other baby Janes. I see it. If that makes sense. It it gave her an identity without having to guess or, you know, make assumptions about who she was. Well, and I guess it lives in the truth that, look, this is not a pretty situation. We've got a little basically baby here. Right. That was found in this water. Like, let's not pretend it's something that it's not. But also, it's not super gory. Mm-hmm. So, I could see where it worked. And that's where she stayed. She was interred at the Jackson County Memorial Park for 25 years. And in 2007, a memorial service was held for the unknown child to raise awareness for the case. They wanted to get her picture out there. They wanted to get her story out there. Maybe someone unfamiliar with the case would see the picture or hear the story and say, that's a little girl that I know that's missing. A year later, so we're talking 2008, law enforcement made the decision to exhume her in the hopes of a possible identification. Were they just checking in because technology had advanced so much so that that way they felt like if they re-looked at this body and got different DNA evidence or new DNA evidence, because we were talking 1982, um, is that sort of like the angle that we're coming from to get more information and DNA? 100%. They wanted to be able to catch up with the times and really use whatever resources they had available to them and apply them to this case. It really shows you that the community did not forget. Because you can imagine maybe some of the original law enforcement officers, of course, were still on duty. But, like, we've got new people and new faces probably within law enforcement there, too. Right. And so the community just isn't letting go. And I think that this is a really interesting time of what would have been her life that this is all happening too. If we put it in perspective of this little girl's life, at this time in her life, she would have been most likely getting ready to celebrate, you know, a 10-year high school reunion very soon at this point, you know, within a few years. Um, uh, I'm assuming she was born around between 80, 81-ish. So, Yeah, she would have been getting ready to celebrate a 10-year reunion, maybe, you know, looking towards getting um, married at that point, maybe would have just graduated college within the last few years. Like, there would have just been so much going on in her life. So it's interesting to see that they're exhuming and bringing new life and activity into her story and her her case. Exactly. And so... They exhumed the baby's body, they collected her DNA, and they entered that sample into the data registry for the National Missing and Unidentified Persons System, otherwise known as NamUs. And they also entered it into the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. But again, they'd have to wait a few more years until they really got the answers that they were looking for. That is until very, very recently. The break in the case came after the DNA was received by 
Othram, a state-of-the-art DNA laboratory in Houston. They were able to match Alicia's DNA with family members in Missouri. And this led investigators to travel there and confirm with the family that the missing child was Alicia. So my mind is a buzz. Where has this Missouri family been for almost 40 years? And if they are more distantly related, as we know that they can start from distant and work their way in for identification purposes, did we get hold of her parents? Are her parents alive? Like, where's her mom? I'm so glad you asked because... I was wondering the same things. How could this little girl be out there on her own? Where were the people that cared for her and had her in this healthy environment? Where were they? And that's when we find out that Alicia's mom has also been missing for almost 40 years. Her mom, Gwendolyn May Clemens, also known as Gwendolyn May Clemens Heinrich, same last name as Alicia, was 23 years old in November of 1982. And she was recently divorced from Alicia's dad and looking to start a new life. She had a new boyfriend whose name hasn't been released by the police because he technically is a suspect. Although we now know that he is has been deceased for quite some time. Oh, okay. But at the time... You know, this was a couple that was still relatively fresh and new, and they were looking to start a life together. Mm -hmm. Gwendolyn told her family that they were leaving and heading to Florida to start a new life together. And so on Wednesday, November 24th, 1982, Gwendolyn, Alicia, and the unnamed boyfriend left their family home and supposedly made their way to Florida. That was the last time anyone ever spoke to them or saw them alive. Now, this boyfriend eventually made his way back to Mississippi without Alicia or Gwendolyn. Their family questioned where they were, but nothing ever came of it. So they hoped and prayed that, you know, this young woman and and her young daughter were alive somewhere living a good life. And just to give our listeners an idea of the timeline, a week after Alicia and Gwendolyn left the family home is when Alicia's body was found in the river. Okay. But Gwendolyn was never seen or heard from again. Authorities say they don't know if she's dead or alive, but they're assuming the worst because it's been so long. Yeah. I mean, things aren't adding up. I mean, they're going to Florida. He comes back to Mississippi. They're nowhere to be found, ever heard from again. And he's just back in Mississippi. Right. Like this is... Not looking very good. Now, he's deceased, and we'll wait for our answers before we jump to conclusions. We'll let law enforcement do their thing, but this is so confusing. Exactly. It leaves so much up in the air as to what happened in those nine days from their last known sighting to when Alicia's body was found. There are some eyewitness reports that state that a woman was seen carrying a toddler on December 3rd. So just a couple of days before Alicia's body was found. Uh, she was reportedly seen around midnight and 1 a.m. carrying the child on Highway 63. Well, that's why someone would remember that as notable because she was on a highway in the almost, I mean, the middle of the night, basically. 
And right. And she had a toddler who has a toddler up and awake at that hour, just strolling the highway. Right. And the toddler was barefoot and coatless. I want to be upfront with our listeners. I don't know if this was Alicia and Gwendolyn. Right. The police don't know if it was Alicia and Gwendolyn. But it's still possible. I think it's a very real possibility that it was. And that's why I'm including this witness, eyewitness report in the case. Yeah. I mean, it's part of the case. It's being reported as part of it. It's important as we get answers. Of course, they'll be taking this into consideration too. Right. And to just further emphasize the possibility that it was Gwendolyn and Alicia is the fact that the woman's description matches the body that the trucker did see floating in the river. And an eyewitness who came forward in the years that followed told investigators that she had been monitoring the CB radio on the night of December 3rd. And there was a lot of chatter about a woman and a child walking down the interstate and being in distress and refusing help from those who had offered it. And so they really, truly believed that it was them. Yeah, I mean, how many strange situations like this can you have in one area that aren't connected in some way? Especially when you see a woman and a child of approximately the same age. It doesn't seem like it would be a coincidence. I mean, if you were talking a big city, we might take that sighting a little more cautiously. But when you're talking about this general area and they're matching up to descriptions, it's definitely of importance and a larger possibility. To this day, Gwendolyn remains a missing person. Wow. She is estimated to be between 5'2 and 5'8, weighing 105 and 135 pounds. She has hazel eyes and strawberry blonde hair. If you have any information about this case, please contact the Jackson County Sheriff's Office at 228-769-3024. And in terms of where Alicia's case is, it's still considered an ongoing and active investigation because while we do know who Alicia is, she's been given her name back, we still don't know who did this? We don't know why they did it. And we don't know where her mother's at. I'm not really one to support theories when there is still an ongoing investigation. But I feel like because this story is so, I mean, it's almost four decades old. I feel like it's okay to kind of throw out some of the theories that are believed to be what could have happened. Okay. And I kind of have one, too. All right. So I'm going to name three. The first one is Gwendolyn threw Alicia over the bridge and then killed herself in a murder-suicide. And this is a lot of people's theory because of the woman in distress seen walking on the bridge Mm -hmm. the night before. The second theory is that Ted Hammond, the man who called the police to report the woman's body he had seen had something to do with the disappearance. I don't really believe that because I feel like he would have had more evidence against that him. That only really works if we knew or understood that much like that other highway sighting, that it was more typical that she did 
that at this time, walked a highway at more dangerous hours, and he came upon them as a truck driver. Right. Eh, but yeah, I'm with you. Not not as likely in my opinion. And the third theory is that Gwendolyn's unidentified boyfriend murdered Gwendolyn and Alicia. I feel like this is probably pretty close. I'm I believe more that it was either a mur- murder suicide or that it was her boyfriend that did it. I would lean a little more towards if we're just talking these theories, more murder suicide. So what these theories aren't taking into account, in my opinion, is that her body was never found to even confirm that she was dead. Right. Now, I know that there are certain things and certain laws in states that say, oh, if you've been missing for this long, you're presumed dead and you can, um, you know, get things changed to notate that and, um, you know, take care of estates and stuff as such. But. It just makes me wonder, like, if it wasn't more of a murder, attempted suicide, and the suicide never happened. Because where did the body go? So the only other option is if someone did murder them, that somehow Gwen's body was moved somewhere else. And that Alicia's stayed where it was. Yeah, I mean, it's a very real possibility. where is it? I mean, are there alligators in this murky water? Which is grotesque to think about. So, I mean, there is, there is a possibility of, you know, an animal in between Ted calling, the truck driver calling the, and reporting and then law enforcement being on the scene, but I mean, with a dead body, they're going to be there pretty quick, you would imagine. So, where, like, where'd this body go? And did it leave because she was alive or did it leave because somebody moved it somewhere else? And why can't we find it over 40 years? Those are things I don't think that those theories are taking into account. But they know a lot more than we do when they're running through these theories. So, we'll have to take that for what it is, too. Totally. So, let us know what you guys think. What's your theory on why we've got Alicia's body, but we don't have Gwen's? And that's the story of Alicia and Heinrich. Yeah, that's a tough one. It really is. Um, So we'll leave it there. You know where to find us until our next episode. At the Murder Diaries pod on Instagram. At the Murder Diaries podcast.com. And at the Murder Diaries pod at gmail. Dot com. And you guys know what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it again. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It helps us keep the good content flowing. And until then, better safe than dead. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.